Battle Line podcast. Uh, for the new listeners, I know every week we have people checking us out. I am Ian Scotto. I am Tonto Monferrer. That's what I. That's what I've written down. You know what's funny though? It's the audience has no idea you mean. Yeah, on the um, on, when we use Squadcast, you can write down different names. And but, I, um, I always have. I always have different names. What did I have last week? Michael Jackson? No, it's actually been three weeks since you've been on. Oh, three weeks. So three weeks ago. <laughs> what did I have? Tontizzle or something like yeah, that? I think so. Oh no, I've got my squeaky chair too. Oh crap! Oh dude! Oh crap! Yeah, I got. I got. You gotta, I got you gotta switch I, out this chair. All right, I will. You, I will kill time as you keep, switch out this keep chair. Keep everybody occupied. The audience, <laughs> the audience may have noticed there's been episodes where you just hear this like hear this. in the background. There you go. Right, like it. Hear it. Hear it. I don't hear it now, actually. Oh, it, it'll, it'll squeak later. But yeah. All right. Well, let I'm me. Go, I'm gonna go change. Occupy this. time with right. the audience while you switch out this chair. Um, because you guys will notice it at some point. It's kind of funny. But anyway, a- every show we talk to different members of the special operations military community and other guys as well. Uh, in this case, we are talking to someone from the special operations military community, and that's none other than Marty Govlin. I'm coming back. Yeah. Hold on. All right. I'm, I'm trying on, to intro here, though, dude. <laughs> um, All right. Now so I'm chair. It, Ready to it, go. It, let's, do, let's do this. Okay. So in, in this case, as I was saying, we're talking to Marty Scovland, uh, who's an Army Ranger, executive mm-hmm. editor of Coffee or Die magazine, and a guy that I've known for quite a few years, actually probably one of the first Army Rangers I've ever met. I've known Marty before I met you. Uh, so yeah, a- anyway, before we get into everything, though, Ned keeps us going and doing what we do. Actually, it's something that we use pretty much every day. And, and with that, um, you guys heard me read this email a couple of shows ago. But it's such a good one that if you didn't hear it, I wanted to read it to you because, you know, you, you often hear about how Ned has benefited my life and Chris's life. Mm-hmm. But in in some cases with guys who have had like major issues, it's helped them as well. And this is from Clem, who's a veteran from Pensacola, Florida. He wrote to us at uh, battlelinepodcast at gmail.com and said, Chris and Ian, I wanted to take an opportunity and thank you for making me aware of the great products from Ned. I grew up in the 70s and had the mindset of if I can climb it, jump it, or fall from it, I was going to give it a shot. Add that to many years in the Marine Corps and law enforcement, and you have the perfect storm for some serious joint pain and inflammation after hitting my 50s. I've tried some CBD products in the past and had absolutely absolutely no results. I heard mention of Ned on your podcast and decided to look them up. I was impressed with what I discovered and decided to give it a shot. I think it's important to say here that I was extremely skeptical and that I would have that I would have any results at all. Uh, about 35 days after taking the full spectrum CBD, I sincerely started seeing results. I would have severe inflammation, flare-ups in my knees and hips, and I'm happy to say I've had major reduction in inflammation and major improvements with flexibility. I cannot recommend the product enough on behalf of my wife and kids and grandkids. We all thank you for the activities we can now enjoy together. Semper Fi. And that was just an awesome email to get from Clem because... You know, for me, it's helped me with sleep. Uh, that, that's really been the main thing that that's helped me with. But when I hear someone who has like these major joint issues and that now they're able to enjoy activities with their family, like that says it all. Well, yeah, it's it, I have ulcerative colitis. And for people that don't know what that is, an inflammatory bowel disease, when you start to flare up, your joints start to hurt. It's inflammation from the inside out. And that's that's essentially what it is. And I actually just started having this a few weeks ago, actually before our last podcast, Ian, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. 
my joints were hurt. I was trying to run. It wasn't, it was painful. So I just figured I'm getting old. I'm getting old. Then my guts, my gut started to go wrong. And I go, Oh, something's bad here. I'm, I'm starting to get a flare up. And I upped my dosage with Ned because I, I, I don't want to go get on prednisone. That's what you have to do. Go get on prednisone. And that stuff's terrible. And, and I know from family members experiences, if you get on prednisone, you are losing those abs that you, oh, you, like, you, 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 you do. You do. And, and it's awful. It's just, it just is, it, it's an awful drug to have to get on. Um, sometimes okay. you, sometimes you have to, I get, I get it. I've had to, with, but uh, I caught it and I upped my dosage with Ned and I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I mean, like within a week, my joints started because it's like, well, it's inflammation from the inside out, right? Well, let's up the dosage of Ned. And, and so instead of taking one a day, I did three a day and I was doing one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one at night. And it, 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 it fixed it. I, I was like, holy crap, this is, oh my gosh, this is, this is a lifesaver. I don't have to go to the VA hospital. I don't have to get on prednisone. And you know, I knew it was great before, but now having him and I was going into a major flare up. I could feel it in my stomach. I know when those are coming on and it, 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 it eliminated. It did take about a week to 10 days for it to come down. But I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is tremendous. And, and the inflammation went away. My guts came back to normal and you can feel it because you can actually for, sorry guys, but we are in a non PC podcaster. I, my gut, I could actually, I had normal bowel movements, which you don't with ulcerative colitis. And I, but the biggest thing that I knew I was getting, you know, it's so funny. I'm just going to stop you. You go, yeah. we're a non PC podcast. <laughs> and then you said that in the most PC way possible. Oh, did I really? You're like my bowels were fine. I thought you were going to be like, I was shit. My I, was shit my- <laughs> <laughs> I was shit. My brain. But no, it, it, but it, 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 it did. It, 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 it curtailed the flare up and the flare up went, went away and that's how it should go. And, and my joints are feeling great. I'm backed out running, you know, I ran seven miles uh, when I went to do my speaking event there in Ashland, Oregon, um, and uh, it was it was incredible. So, guys, yeah, Ned, it does work. It, if you have inflammatory bowel disease, guys, I highly recommend you give it a shot. Now, you also have to take your medication that you do. I'm on mesalamine that I have to take every day. Don't stop doing that. That's not a hardcore like prednisone. It's something to keep you maintained, but add Ned into that daily maintenance to control your inflammatory bowel disease and it will work and your joints will stop hurting. That's the biggest thing that people don't realize with inflammatory bowel disease is your joints hurt because your inflammation starts in the gut and it comes through the outside. And then it just gets to your shoulders, your knees, ankles and everything. And then if you have arthritis, of course, it's going to help because that's where the inflammation is in your joints. So do use it guys, inflammatory bowel disease, people out there highly recommend it, get it into your system and and you'll be you, you'll be happier for it. you're going to be active and you're going to get back to a, a very healthy lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And go to the website and depending on what uh, issue that you're having, they're going to have something for you because they have the sleep blend. Yeah. They have the regular um, CBD, but in different dosages, the full spectrum hemp. And now they have the distress blend, which people are seeing amazing results from. And you can get a free sample of that. So if yeah, you yeah. want to try the new distress blend from Ned, a brand that we love and trust, as you can clearly hear, we have a special offer for the Battleline audience. Every order over $40 qualifies for 15% off awesome. plus a free distress blend sample. Go to helloned.com slash battleline or enter battleline at checkout to take advantage of this offer. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash battleline to get 15% off plus a free distress blend sample on any order over $40. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring our program and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. 
From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. Switch is on Battleline Podcast. Very excited to have Marty Scoblin coming on. You know what I have to say, actually, as the intro is going here and people are hearing the intro under us, uh, which, of course, was done by Jimmy Allen from Puddle of Mud. But you know the part of the intro where Alex Jones says, uh, Ian and I have been dating for years. So <laughs> Alex just did a podcast, like in a, it was weird, in like a trailer. And it's with, I don't even know who hosted it, but it's with Tim Pool, it's Joe Rogan. Uh, and Blair White, who I, I, I'm a fan of all. I'm not a really big Tim Pool fan, to be honest. I like Rogan. I like Blair White. And I mean, for those who follow Blair White and know her, you know, political commentator. But here's the funny thing. I mean, for those who don't know, Blair White, transgender woman, very attractive looking transgender woman, to be honest. Like you would never think she was originally a man, but she's in this um, trailer sitting next to Alex Jones. And Alex is like, this is my wife right here. So I was like, this is just Alex's thing to like come on to whoever he's doing a podcast with, whether it's a guy, whether it's a transgender woman, like that's just, that's how Alex rolls. That's how he keeps it entertaining. That's always breaks the ice, man. You always, sexual innuendos always break the ice. They do. I I guarantee you guys pay attention to your own uh, awkward moments with people that you're around that may feel awkward. I guarantee you, you'll do a sexual innu- innuendo to break the ice and you won't even pay attention that you're doing it and you're going to do it, but pay attention to it. Now, I, 99% of you out there, including myself, will say something, maybe not as, 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 as aggressively sexual <laughs> as Alex, but you will say some sexual innuendo to break the ice everybody laughs. So it's just normal, man. Alex just takes it to the next level. And that's also Alex being comfortable in his own skin because there's people who will go, honestly, who might be like, oh, this is a transgender person. I don't want to offend anybody. But it's also that Blair White is very non-PC, which is is not something you normally see in that community. But honestly, she is. She kind of just says what she feels. And that's why, like, she'll go on a show with Alex Jones. Well, that's what Um, you you get. They got to be. I mean, if you're going to, if you want to be into be normal and you want your group and I, I hate groups. I can't stand. Oh, we got groups for everything. Now group here, group here. Yeah. But I agree. If you want your group to assimilate and be treated normal, then be normal. Then, then, then be like that. Just be yourself, but not expecting somebody to not offend you or offend you. Why go into a conversation like that? Just go into the conversation and whatever happens, happens. That's normal to me. Me, I 100% agree. I even talked about this with Luke Ryan uh, last episode, the whole idea that everyone is a monolith. And it's like, I know. 
Really not, man. I mean, because veterans, for example, we had Alana Duffy on. Alana yeah. Duffy is is definitely to the left on a lot of things. And then, and then actually, I don't know if you know. When I booked, we have Chris Daco. Am I saying Chris Daco's name? Oh, Daco, right? Chris Daco's. No, Chris. Daikos. Is, Chris is a so, straight up. Chris is a straight up tree hugging North. Yeah, he's all. But I, he, he, I mean, I booked him, and and Chris Daco's. I'll tell. I didn't tell you this. I just thought it was funny. Chris, I just Chris, backstory, guys. Chris and I served when I was at Ranger Battalion when I first went in. Chris was an awesome. He was in my squad. Awesome Ranger, but he was always a little bit. We always knew he was a little bit of that tree hugger type Northwestern. And he is, he's, he is like that, but his son's in first special forces group too. If you didn't know that. So his son went to the army as well as Chris is. Yeah. Chris is a, is a, he's a different cat. Very, very smart though, but go ahead, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Yeah. No, when I, so when I booked him, he said to me like, well, what topics will we get into? And I was telling him we're a very laid back podcast. And he was like, well, I think it'd be cool to talk about. And we probably will. When we have him on, he was like, look, Chris and I have a very different view of the world religion wise, uh, he was like political wise, but the fact that we have this brotherhood in military service, that's something that you can't break. And I was like, that's perfect. And then Chris said to me, to be honest, I thought this is funny. Chris was like, Hey, I want to talk about critical race theory and how it's misunderstood. And I said, and I don't, sometimes our audience, I think sometimes thinks that we're afraid to talk about these topics. And I'm, I'm not, I just think it's the fact that there's so many debate shows. I kind of like the fact that our show is more just how we come together and veterans celebrating each other's service. And, you know, if we get into it, we get into it. But I even said to him, like, we're not, it's not something we would typically talk about. We don't talk about a whole lot of politics. And he was like, well, that's cool. I appreciate that. Oh, and and that's the thing too, is that sometimes, and I I tell, I just, those that want to get so delved into it, sometimes there aren't problems until you make them problems. And I really believe a lot of the stuff we have out there, the drama that we cause out there is self-inflicted. There's really not an issue until we want to make it an issue because it may fit with our movement to bring it farther. I believe our political beliefs get an election one or make money. Shocker that, yes, a lot of these movements make a shitload of money, guys. I know that's that's hard to believe. I know it's, it's all supposed to be, you know, it's all supposed to be uh, you know, on, on the level. Yeah, but they're making buttloads of money. Uh, yeah, that's why it's like, no, critical race. Why do I want to talk about it? I, I, no, I, I, I you there's no reason we don't we don't have it on our show. We, I, I don't care who black, white, Mexican, yellow, who's on the show. I, I don't care. I, let's just talk. How did you overcome adversity? How did you overcome an obstacle? How did your faith help you? Or if you didn't have faith, what did you how, what did you hold on to to get through that? And it doesn't make a goddamn bit of difference. Excuse my language. They're saying I just pissed off all the Christians out there. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference if you're yellow, green, black, right, Mexican. If you've raised poor, you've raised rich. If you've been entitled, if you've not been entitled, it doesn't make a difference to me. What did what did you do? And then people can form their own opinions. But coming in to well, racism, racism, Jesus, no, we we. No, we haven't. I didn't grow up that way. My grandfather, who was a picker, who came over to this country illegally, he got his own farm, no farm. We never, ever talked about race. It was never, gosh, I'm Mexican. That's why the man's keeping me down. It was, I'm going to get up this morning. I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to, I'm just not going to quit until I reach what I need to reach for my family. He never once complained or thought he was being held back for being Mexican ever. Neither did my grandma. I never heard it. And that's why I have those views of myself now as well. It's like, so I, I mean, it, I guess I'm Mexican. I guess I'm not Mexican enough because I don't believe in racism. I, I don't. I never. I was not raised that way. I was just raised. You get off your ass. You get up in the morning. You work your tail off. And if somebody puts you down, or if they're putting somebody in front of you that you know that you're better, you know you're better than. 
Well, guess what you do? You get up and you work a little bit harder. <laughs> so they can't, they can't not, not pick you or not think that you're being successful. And he was one of the most well-respected men in the community in Delta, Colorado, where, Hey, guess where Western slope, where Ned is. Nice yeah, that's <laughs> so, but that's where I don't like, we don't like to get into it. And, and that's me on my soapbox on that little bit is because yeah, overcoming is overcoming. Does it make a difference? What is, what is inside of you that drives you to overcome that adversity to get you, to get you over that hump, to make you stronger. And can that help somebody else? Red, yellow, black, white, Mexican, Christian, Islamic, Muslim. Can it help somebody, Islam, Hindu, can it help somebody else out there, doesn't matter who they are, get through their troubles and trials and tribulations? Yeah, I, I think that's what sets the show apart for sure. I just, I honestly thought it was funny. What we what were saying too about the um, coming together thing, you know, it was surprising to me. I don't know if you saw this. I, I was surprised by this, to be honest. Uh, Will Cal actually reposted this and it was interesting. So, I mean, everybody's talking about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial right now. And outside of the courthouse, as you can imagine, it gets pretty heated. There's Black Lives Matter protesters, sure, sure, sure. people on the side of Kyle Rittenhouse. And they very much came together and shared like pizzas. They ordered like these pizzas from Domino's and they were shaking each other's hands saying, hey, I appreciate what you're doing out here. And I was so, kind of surprised by that because these are sides completely opposed and you would think they're at each other's throats. And I was and actually woke out even wrote. He was like, this is this is good to see. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, it is. I, I wouldn't be out there protesting on either side, to be honest. I just feel no. like I have better things to do. But the <laughs> fact that there's not because the last thing I would want to see is more people getting killed over this type of thing because, you know, people are heated yeah. and they have their strong views on it. And, yeah. you know, the media doesn't help at all. Uh, no, no. How it, inflamed it, people get. Gasoline on the fl- It's money again, guys. It's just money. That's how you make money. Dissension, division makes money. If if that Facebook if now we all knew this was going on, but if that Facebook whistleblower if that hasn't gotten you to figure out that divisiveness devices leads to more money and more control by whoever's causing the divisiveness, I don't know what you're going to have to be smacked in the face with the brick that says divisiveness makes money for you to realize it because that's essentially what it was. And and to see that that's awesome. No, that's awesome to see people coming together because you know what. The, the the it doesn't make a difference what side you're on because you're going to think you're right depending on sides. That's actually how wars of are course. started, guys. I, that's how wars are started. One side thinks they're right, the other one thinks they're right, and they you, fight. You know what? <laughs> can I tell you something real quick? Because you're mentioning when I was on when I was on the team house, Dave Park said this to me before we recorded. I don't know how he got into it, but he was like, "Everybody thinks that they're right on everything," and he was like, "And if you don't think you're right on anything, he's like, try to articulate." Uh, like the argument for the other side, you know what I mean? That, that you're is. opposed to and like do a good job of like convincing yourself. It's true. Like we all, it's just, it's human nature. And, but I think people need to realize it and lose that cognitive dissonance and yeah. hear people out who, who think completely opposed because you may, you're probably not going to change your total opinion, but I'll be honest. Like there were times where I spoke with Rick Unger, right. Who's to the yeah. left on, on yeah. issues like healthcare yeah. and Rick changed my mind on a lot of things. Cause he's a very smart guy. And, I think if you come in there with the attitude of I'm right on everything, uh, there's there's always going to be stuff that you don't know as much about. Like, I mean, your expertise, right? Like, yeah. I would say is firearms and yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. military issues. But someone like both of us, right, who don't work in healthcare, I, yeah. I could be convinced <laughs> of something else by someone who knows their stuff uh, any, I, any day. Yeah. And that's well, that's how you get smarter. That's how you get more intelligence. That's how you get wiser. That's why, for the most part, people in D.C. don't. 
get wiser and smarter because they have to stick with their ideologies and they don't want their uh, they don't want their ideologies challenged because then they have to admit they're wrong and then they have to go and say, hey, you know what? I was wrong. I, I campaigned on the wrong thing. Sorry, can't do that in politics. You know, and that's why, again, where people we need to stop listening to what's going on up there in D.C., what's going on and just what's going on in front of me here right now. Just like the the, the the Carl Rittenhouse trial with the two groups out there. What is happening right there? Well, if you listen to the media, they're going to go at each other, right? They're going to fight. But they took the time to figure out, okay, let's let's listen to this person. Let's listen to this person. We're on deposing sides. Oh, my gosh, we're actually agreeing on some of these things. Oh, my gosh, this person really isn't an asshole. They're actually really nice. Let's grab some pizza with them. That's yeah. To me, that's perfect. That's America. And that's why the show, you're right, getting into the with Chris. And Chris is awesome, guys. I'm not dogging Chris. I love Chris. Chris helped me. Chris helped me when I was going through a bad, bad time when yes. I was first divorced and I got booted out of the military. Chris was in my squad. He was one of the guys that was there for me. Um, but what I'm saying is that it, it, that's why the show, we don't get into that. How did someone that may have different ideologies than you do, how did they help you literally not kill yourself? That's Chris's when my story with Chris and me going together, how did they help you pick yourself up when you're at your worst, even though you may believe in different things or may, I, I, and ideologies, that's strong. I mean, that's like ideologies are set in stone. I, I, I don't know if I have ideologies. I'm always, eh, maybe, maybe not. But um, I, I, how does somebody that differs in their opinions, how do they still come together and help each other up regardless of who the hell they vote for, who gives a shit or, or what they believe in. And that's where I like having Chris on because this, that was 1996. Here we are in 2021. So how many with my math, brother? <laughs> 20, uh, I think 25 15 years, years, 15 20, years. Yeah, I was about to say 15, 20, 25, really better. 25. Yeah. 25 <laughs> years, 25 years. And him and I, you know, we were, and we're still friends and we don't need to talk to each other. That's the beauty of, of this show is that we don't get into that horse shit, even though, even though it's, it's so easy, it's low hanging fruit. It's so easy to talk about. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's not important stuff. I just feel like it's covered everywhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, you know what I do want to mention, of course, before we get to Marty, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to not mention, I mean, this week is Thanksgiving week. Uh, Thanksgiving is coming up in a few days. So I really want to make sure we don't go this show without saying thanks to the people who were deployed overseas and, Wherever they are, and I mean, there's still hundreds of guys in Afghanistan. There's still, what would you say, thousands of translators, hundreds, thousands? I, I the numbers, man, I, I couldn't even figure out the numbers. We're probably there's hundreds I, of Americans I, there. Yeah, and, and, I would say, you know, still in Iraq, still in, and and even just the guys deployed in Japan, in Germany, and and for some of them, it might be their first Thanksgiving without family. So yeah, I think I loved. You know, with overseas, it was always special when you had a holiday, whether it was Christmas or Thanksgiving. I still I, I usually post a Thanksgiving pic of when we one yeah. of my most memorable was the Kandahar turkey trot that we had where my buddy Joe, uh, Dirty Joe, Joe Dirte, Joe Dirt. Um, he was a 10 special forces group guy. He was a bigger clown than me. I, I mean, he was a huge clown. And he would build a turkey suit out of cardboard boxes and run the turkey trot around the base in Afghanistan, southern Afghanistan. And it just made it fun, man. It made family fun. It made it like it was a family environment and eating turkeys. And and most times we wouldn't have ops that day. If we did, it'd be late at night. So we'd get the day to, to hang out. And it was, it was fun. It, it was really fun. It made you, I mean, it, you missed home, but, but you were like, man, this is actually really cool. This is a fantastic experience, man. These dudes are good. It was a good team building and, and bringing people together. 
uh, and Christmas was the same way. And I remember Kabul. I had a Christmas time being in Kabul, and you, and you do feel a sense of loneliness. You do. I, I'm not gonna say you don't. You do. You're like, man, I miss my family. But then going into the Chow Hall because they usually keep it open 24 hours during Christmas, or they keep it open a longer periods of time, just so people could go in there and have some place to see another buddy. So you didn't work spitting time in your room, feeling sorry for yourself, you know, and it was cool going in there and just seeing, and they would decorate it. And it was beautiful. You know, you got these Kabulis in these places decorating things for Christmas. And you're like, man, these guys are really helping us out. I, who knows if they even believe in Christmas like we do when most do actually most do I found that out majority. I of them. know. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, it may not be Christmas because of G all, but they believe in the spirit of, it's it's religious. Sure. It's religious. Yeah. And uh and it was awesome, man. I, I, I have a lot of memories of that. Um, but I also, you know, have a lot of not regret, but man, I missed Christmas with my kids. And, and that's why Christmas and Thanksgiving are so special for me now, because and that's why they get whatever they want, is because I missed not getting Christmas stuff for them. Um and missing the time. Like our, our trees are already up. I already put say that's that's how Christmassy I am. So, um, but all you guys out there, all enjoy it. You do really don't feel sorry for yourself or you men and women out there. If you ever get to hear this podcast, I think some of, Hey, I look at the, the stats on simple. Are we getting some? We get people. Yeah. In every country. I mean, we really do look, it's not, it's 90% America, but, and, and, and also probably 5% Canada. I'm really spitballing here, but of that other 5%, there's Iraq, there's Japan, there's... See, I, that, I do see that's those. awesome. And that's why you got... If you are out there listening, enjoy it, man. Enjoy it. You, you will have this memory for... And it is. It will stick with you for the rest of your life of how... But also how awful or how wonderful it is. And that's up to you. That's your attitude. That's how you have to handle it. If you want to feel sorry because you're missing home because uh, you're away for Christmas, then it may not be that pleasant of a memory, but if you really try to enjoy being there, being there and just experience being there with people that you will come together, you will become tighter uh, on a base because you're all together. That's your family for that day. And that's your family for your deployment. You're going to have good memories from it. Yeah, I guarantee you, you, you will. And you'll smile like I do when I think about it. So yeah, God bless you guys out there and, and you're doing great things. And I admire you because I've been in, been in your shoes and, uh, um, but I have great memories from it. So make a great memory. If you, if nobody else is doing something, then you do something and bring everybody else's spirits up, make everybody happy and enjoy that time out there and get them some presents. I don't know. I, I, you can always find something <laughs> out there. So um, yeah, God bless you guys and be safe, be safe. Definitely. Yeah. That's great advice. Have a, have a great Thanksgiving guys. Uh, truly. So with that, we're going to get over to Marty Scovland. Really excited to speak with him. Um, but before we do, Photonist Defense is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and outdoor enthusiasts rely on Photonist Defense systems to make their adventures safer and more successful. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Photonist Defense is now offering state-of-the-art night vision systems from the PD-Pro-B 16mm binocular and the PD-Pro-M 16mm monocular to the PD-Pro-Q panoramic night vision system. Customers from all over are excited about these new, smaller, lighter NVGs. You've got to see these things to really experience how much smaller and lighter they are than anything you've used previously 
I can't wait to hang out with these guys. At <laughs> I'm very excited for Josh. Joe. You, um, those, that equipment guy, if you have the means and you like night vision, if you're just, just, just your normal citizen that has the means to purchase them, get them. That's the best out there by far. And if you're a, a military law enforcement uh, organization, I would highly recommend whatever you're using right now, switch, switch to Photonis Defense, or at least get them in there so they can show you their product. It is lighter. The clarity is still there, if not even better. And the, the ability to move the system on your whatever, whatever helmet you're using, whatever sort of uh, mount you're using is, is better than the, their competitors, guys. It, it, it's, it's the tremendous. So they're, uh, I can't say enough. I was so impressed with their stuff. And, and you know, the biggest thing is, the big thing is, you know, the clarity, of course, but just the weight. And because those things, if you're having them on for long periods of time, it doesn't matter if it's a monocular or PVS 14 or if it's a, 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 a binocular, if it's a PVS 10, that, that makes no difference. Or the four bangers, it gets heavy after a long period of time. And that causes you to start to drop your neck and drop your vision. And you don't want that. I mean, you, you want to be able to see what's out there, but I mean, you're, you're on an op. Having it lighter allows you to, to relax your muscles more and you're going to save them for if you're ever in a long haul. Let's say you have to wear night vision for 13 hours. I, yeah, I throw that out there. I know I'm, trying, I'm not being funny, but I kind of am. But having to wear it for that long, do um, you want to save as much muscle as you can, as much fatigue, less fatigue is better because you don't know when the fight's going to end and making them lighter with still the same or even better capabilities than their competitors. As far as visual acuity, um, that makes them second to none. So yeah, yeah, guys, check out Fatana's defense and have your organizations check them out. I guarantee you, you'll switch to them. Absolutely. Visit photonistdefense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S defense.com. Link is right there in the description. Go there now. And also Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Uh, go to the dealer locator right there on the website, and you're going to find a dealer right by you. For example, right by me is South Shore Sportsman and Merrick. You just type in your zip code. You're going to find exactly what you need uh, through any privately owned business by you, Fort Scott Munitions. Dot com And then if you want to order any merch, every now and again, they have bulk ammo and you'll get a huge savings on that. Go to uh, fortscottmunitions.com once again and use exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. So joining us for the, the incredibly for the first time on Battleline podcast because it's crazy that we're 110 episodes in and we've never had Marty. And on. we ha- I know you've had Luke Ryan on like eight times too, which <laughs> I mean that says something, Marty. Sorry, dude. He's better Luke's looking. Luke. He's better looking. <laughs> he is better looking, isn't he? Voice of self. <laughs> and the, the crazy thing is, like, 
if when we started this podcast, if you asked me to give you a list of people we want on, uh, genuinely, Marty would probably be in that first 10 or 20 well, people. Well, he, right he now. was. So, he was. He just kept dogging us. He's like, fuck you. Yeah, that's guy. true. I think fuck, he got busy. Fuck you, dude. I'm a horrible so, person, just so everybody knows. I am a genuinely <laughs> terrible person. I'll give a. Uh, I'll give just a proper intro to who Marty is, because he's a guy we both go way back with. Um, Army <laughs> Ranger, executive editor of Coffee or Die magazine, author of Violence of Action, Untold Stories of Good the book. 75th Ranger Regiment. In the War on Terror, very good book, yeah, very and yep. and the true story of how Standing Rock fell. Also, the co-host of JFK Declassified on the History Channel. Uh, yeah, you know what? Actually, we'll start with that because the book itself. The interesting thing about that book is there's a lot of Army Ranger books now, and that was probably that was the one first of the first one of the first one. You, you and you and probably Nick Irving was that around the same time? Were probably the first two. First yeah. two Ranger books that I mean, I'm, forgive me if I because I didn't read back then either. So I, yeah, I, I still don't read a lot of I, I, war I books, know. you know. Um, I used to be obsessed with war books and war memoirs, yeah, yeah. And then you get into the military and you start to lose yeah. a little bit because then all you do is you sit there and pick everything apart about it. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I don't want to enjoy a book like that, but yeah, I think you know, Nick Irving was he really was one of the first guys out of the G Watt era to, to kind of come out, and that's kind of setting aside, um. You know, I think uh, Nate Self wrote something coming out of the Talker Gar, um, right. yeah. 2002 Robert Ridge thing. So I don't want to say we were the first, but I think that when you think about G-Watt memoir style or history of the modern Ranger Regiment, um, Nick was definitely one of the first guys to kind of step out there with that. And I think my piece was shortly thereafter. And, you know, obviously Jack Murphy was writing some stuff, but it wasn't uh, it was fiction. And, yeah. um, you know, there was a couple of different guys in the mix, I want to say. I will say, though, that I think Violence of Action was probably one of the first pieces that really tried to encapsulate the transformation of the Ranger Regiment from what was the pre-G Watt Ranger Regiment to the post, I would call it like the post-2004 Awakening, right? Like it was, there really was a difference between what the Ranger Regiment was doing in 07, 08, 09 than what they were doing in 96, 97, 98, you know, and Chris, like you're one of those guys that can really speak to that because you were one of those 90s Rangers, but then we're around and continuing to work in the community uh, and be around everybody. I'm sure for you, you probably saw that transformation well, firsthand. Well, it, it did. You know, 95, 96, it was mainly airfield seizure, airfield seizure, airfield seizure. That's what we're doing. That's what our job is. And and maybe block. And this was even before Somalia. Uh, yep. block for, but they were, we were also, cause, and being, I was just a private at the time, guys. And so I'm on the outside looking in, but I had tremendous commanders. I had, uh, you know, Frank Grippy, Sergeant Major Grippy, you know, General LaCamera was my captain at the time, Captain LaCamera. And they were also trying, they were just getting back from Haiti and they were trying to figure out, hey, wait, we're not policing, we're not a police unit too. And those guys, you know, we're talking axe handles and shit like that. So they were also transitioning to, we don't do any of that shit anymore. And then coming in later, um, saying more, yeah, now, well, now it's more towards urban. It's CQB. It's, it's, hey, we're, we're, we're not longer just a bullet catchers for Delta. We need to start moving to work doing our own ops. And then you, you guys took it to the next level because you guys actually implemented that. I, I left before and went started contracting. Um, but you guys took it to that next level and, and we're actually taking ops. And then I heard you guys were starting to take ops that wasn't cool enough for blue and green. They weren't cool enough. So red was going to take everything and you guys just took off. And I that, think we worked our way into a job. Yeah. I think yeah. it started, I think it started off as it wasn't cool enough. And then I think that the head shed kind of saw like, man, 
you know, we've got this industrial scale force. So you're still going out in the same size elements. It's still just 20 or 30 guys. It's the same as the kind of the tier one elements. But like, man, we got a lot more of these guys yeah, yeah. and they don't care. They're just happy to go kill people. So <laughs> they're not they're not persnippity about, you know, what target they're on. Or exactly. And, they, and then we started getting all this experience. And now all of a sudden you were going on. So it's funny we're talking about books. I'm actually right in the middle of finishing one up. Literally, as we speak, I'm late turning it in right now. Um, but one of the sections of it, it's not a book about Rangers, but it's, they're involved in it. But you look at the um, last leader of the ISI in Iraq uh, before Baghdadi took over the organization and turned it into ISIS. Um, you know, that guy, uh, AAM, he was, al Masri, he was killed by Rangers on a target like he was the number one guy in iraq hvt number one after zarqawi was killed it was aam and aub behind him and we got both of them in the same night that was a ranger assault force you know and that's so yeah they started off i think with like hey we'll just take the scraps we'll take the table scraps and quickly i think proved like hey no we can go we can't do everything i'm not trying to say that rangers are tier one and all this we're not there's a lot of things that those guys can do that we cannot do not do but when it comes to direct action, there's only so many ways to do a raid, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, there's only so many ways, and we got pretty freaking good at it. I well, think. I, I, and that's that's starts from the guys in the '90s on up, because that was yeah, that's it, what we, it, it was airfield seat. And you're right, it was raids, raids. Well, that's what we do: direct action raids. We're assaulting, we're raid. And I do remember going to Yak, you know, Yakistan, and, and that's Yakima guys going to YTC and and doing do, you know doing our rotary ring bilats up there, but yep. raiding raiding the cities up there, and and that was in the '90s. Um, but, but it really wasn't, it was, it was, well, for, if anybody's going to go get an HVT, it's going to be Delta or maybe, and we just, we're just going to go out and blend. Well, just like Somalia, this is, that's what we were, that's what we trained yeah. for. What would ha- what would happen in Somalia? But you're right. You, it went to the next level with, with y'all. And that's why I was, I admire it with, uh, with, uh, just watching it from afar and actually even being a contractor in the country at the same time. And, yeah. and, uh, it, it did, it made me feel proud. I really, even being yeah. sitting with Blackwater and doing my thing over there, hearing what you guys were doing and then also watching, I got to, I got to, yeah, I got to watch or we got to be kind of in the same area doing our, it was like, man, those fuckers, those are badasses. It made me feel, I love the money I was making. So I didn't miss the money I wasn't (laughs) making there, Yeah, but it was like, God dang it, man. I should have stayed. What the hell? You know, Chris, for you, I imagine it's like you're in this world uh, at that time that is drawing from all the different communities and you've got, you know, there's certain stereotypes about each other. Like Rangers, everybody knows. Like we can't shoot pistols worth shit back. <laughs> I think they've gotten better since then. But like, if you talk to a guy like Evan Hafer, he's like, "Yeah, man, when those Rangers came through, it was like we had to start 101 on pistol, right?" Yeah. So, and and there's stereotypes about every soft unit. But I imagine for you, it's like as you started to get new guys in and, and things like that, guys that were maybe coming out of that GWAT era of Ranger Regiment. I imagine you're like, "Oh man, wow, the quality of Ranger that's coming into my community now, my new community." is different right like i, I imagine no it was it was it was you and my, maybe you guys can you guys can say that i'm i'm because i'm a ranger i'm being uh you know i'm being discriminatory against everybody else out there but when a ranger came in he knew tactics he knew basic you know squad unit tactics he knew small unit tactics he knew individual imt tactics so whether it was getting out of a car or, or protecting a principal or thing it was tactics and the rangers got it that was what i loved everybody else it was the marines kind of got it um mm-hmm. seals would come in not really <laughs> and yeah. the planning and the pla- but they all got they all would learn it but the rangers yeah. were always ahead because because you forced them to 
to sit at a, at an E one le- or E three level to you know whatever it was you you sat them through the planning phases where most of the other units didn't do that so they had it from the planning on up so when there were op orders Rangers already got the op orders if it was ever machine guns that were involved Rangers no nope, Rangers got the machine guns that was what I remember from Blackwater the first time when I was there and, and it was the first class I went through it was the guys that were trying to teach the uh, which we had we were had the saw but we were starting to get the Mark forty six the two forty Bravo course we had. Um, they couldn't teach it. They had us rangers that were students come in and actually teach the machine guns. And so I was, it made me even more proud. It's like, holy shit, I learned a lot more than what I really thought I did in comparison to everybody else out there. We and have were, big egos in the ranger regiment. We have, we have big egos, but <laughs> I think that there's compared to, to the other soft units, we have this institutional, like the grass must be greener over there. They must know more than us. They must, because they have longer hair or get to wear beards more often, they must be better than us, you know? And I think it was, I think uh, it's not necessarily that the opposite was true. It's not that we're better than everybody, but I think that the, the, um, the real truth of the matter was, is that the soft community, every, uh, you know, different corner of it is not a monolith. They all, all, Different people have different things that they're good and bad at, but that Rangers weren't inherently just worse than everybody because we had this reputation of pulling blocking points or we were the guys that had the shorter haircuts or more uniform, you know, rigid discipline standards, things like that. In some ways, I think, especially as you look back at the last 20 years, I think that that rigid discipline probably kept us out of a lot of trouble that you see some of these other communities yeah, really? no, you're, you're right. Like the drug, we can get into that too with the, the drug and the, and the, uh, you know, and the, and the, the, the hazing that goes out of control. I mean, I was hazed in the nineties. Uh, the hazing wasn't as bad when I came back in, in, in 1999 and, but uh, it was bad in 90, but it was, but it was no necessary. one, no one died like, Logan. Oh no, 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 no one died. No, it never got to that extreme. No, it never did. And it never would get to that extreme. Yeah. It got crazy. Yeah. Those E4s, but again, there were always that, they knew where the they knew where the line was, and you don't cross that line. But I needed it. But like you were saying, what what I got out of that is is that I, when I left, like man, I learned. They taught us everything. I learned everything. It wasn't just one. Sp- yeah, we may just do one thing here or there, but they were making sure I knew every facet. So I knew everything from planning phase all the way on up. I knew every asset, what I needed to do, whether it was just marching in a column to to hitting a bunker, to hitting a full-size building, to coming in as a company and actually taking over a city, which was fun in Fort Knox because we could do that in some of the trainings. And I I was just really happy because it it did set me apart. Aside from the pistol stuff, you're spot on there. I couldn't shoot a pistol for shit when I was a contractor. It took me a little while to figure (laughs) that out. But uh, but you're right. The we had tremendous leaders. I honestly believe we had the best leaders in the military um, that made sure that, yeah, we may not do this over, you know, 99% of the time it's going to go to another soft unit, but I'm going to teach you this anyway. Water infiltration. Yeah. When would we ever do that? Mm-hmm. Fuck, fuck. I went through three weeks of that horse shit and it sucked, but I know how to do it. And, yeah. and so, no, I, I, I agree, dude. I, I completely agree. A lot we, of those, you know, a lot of those things, it's not just that the tactical world or the, you know, uh, the contracting world or, or whatever, you know, that larger world. Um, it's not just that I look at, you know, what Luke and I do right now, right? Like we both have, uh, a lot of responsibility within black rifle coffee, as far as planning, executing plans, like, and we, we bring, I see it in both of us, 
we bring a lot of what we learned in the Ranger Regiment over to this like very, yes, it's owned by veterans. It's a civilian company. It's a corporation. Like it is a company, you know, and we use a lot of that. But, you know, like for me, I've got, you know, Coffee or Die magazine. I'm really proud to say like we send people out to get on the ground all over the world. Uh, we just published a video yesterday from one of my full-time editors who went down to the front lines between Ukraine and Russia, 50 meters away from the Russians. Like, I mean, we are sending people all over the place and we have these things like, hey, everybody will, if it's a shorter trip, you're putting at least a five W's in, a written up one page five yeah. W's. If it's a longer trip, you're putting together a full op order, especially if it involves multiple people in multiple locations, you're, you're using that op order format. Tweaks of course for like what we sort, you know, we kind of do. And then even from like our newest people that come in who aren't the most, we have some very experienced reporters and journalists and everything like that, but we have some people that are very new to it as well. And, you know, the thing that we had in the range regiment was the big five, right? Like PT, marksmanship, medical, mobility, like you had that big five. And I always thought it was kind of this cheesy sort of thing. Of like, of course you do that. Man, I put like what I call them core competencies, but I got my five core competencies of like, you will know AP style. You will know how to operate a camera. You will know how to use, you know, like there are certain things that you need to know how to do to be yeah. successful regardless. I don't care if you're a copy editor, a journalist, a video editor, everybody will have it bare minimum. It was just like that in range regiment though. It didn't matter if you were a cook, a, a NBC, you know, a CPRN yeah. type person, a supply guy, you knew how to put a tourniquet on, you know how to shoot your rifle, you knew how to do these basics, these core competencies, yeah. the, the battalion big five. I think that can carry over into any organization. It's, it's, a, it's accountability. You, you, you're, that's what I, that's what I admired about us after the fact. But when I was in, I was like, man, I should have went to the SEALs. Gosh, I should have the Air Force. It's like, God dang this, the accountability, and I hear my buddies that went to these other units were able to fudge a little bit here or there. Get away, mm -hmm. Couldn't get away with shit. I remember Sergeant, it was Zagnar, was his name? He later became an R in Florida phase, just busting my balls because I couldn't get my, this is the old, this is how old yeah. I am, dude. Getting the old <laughs> Miles gear zeroed correctly. And, and dude, he crushed me. He was a, he was a tab spec four and he was, he, he epitomized the, the, the devil Satan tab spec four guys that you hear about that was him is it was a zagnar i think it was but he was spot on he was holding me accountable to get this thing zeroed even though it was a piece of shit equipment and he made me stay out there i don't know for an hour two hours just to get it done into the evening and through chow at fort bragg in in the quad in front of the sticks barracks so everybody could see me so i felt like a complete douchebag mm -hmm. but that accountability is what I needed then. And it's carried on into the rest. Just like you're saying the rest thing is this, and you're not asking him to, for the moon. You're saying, these are the basics that you need to be accountable for. This is how it's going to take to be successful. If you don't know these basics and I can't hold you accountable to these basics. Well, guess what? I guess you probably need to go somewhere else. I heard a good quote the other day. I hadn't heard this before. I, I've always, I think, kind of known this, but I hadn't heard this quote before, but it was how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it, it, you know, how you the, the standard you hold to your, yourself to on anything is how you are going to be. In, in every, like you can't say I'm a really great this, but I'm a complete piece of shit over here. Like it's not you're, you're generally. And I think that's why you see so many guys that come out of the special operations community. They can then become doctors, professional athletes, you know, go to the highest levels of whatever they do next because they demand excellence of themselves everywhere. They are accountable to themselves first and foremost and feel that, that incredible guilt that they know they're letting people around them down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and that, I think that comes from, like you said, being out there in front of everybody, knowing like, Hey, I hate myself right now because I know I could have done better. I know everybody else thought I could do better and I didn't live up to like, that's something yeah. that, that lives deep inside you. 
that uh, gets ingrained in you and you carry that with you everywhere. I think that's why I felt so bad even during that day. It wasn't because he was calling me out. He was, he was, he was, he was making an example out of me, but that was my fault because I fudged on just getting it done when I could have done it earlier where he's like, okay, motherfucker, I'm going to make, I'm going to make an example out of you in front of everybody. But this is also an importance to it. And also now you're going to have to reprove it to your squad that they can count on you because yep. you fudged this little thing. Oh, it, it made me square one, I, buddy. I felt this big, man. I was just, yeah. but, but, and, and you're spot on with what you're saying. Let I me mean, look behind you. I'm looking at your picture. Look at what you got. You got like tag <laughs> royal. That is a. Do you have an op, op orders up there? Are those are are those warning orders ready to go? I mean, what's going yeah. on? That's uh, definitely a lot of planning. Uh, yeah, there's. Um, uh, that's definitely me putting a lot of effort into my planning wow. and, and and outlining and. Uh, so that is the outline of. Uh, so like I said, I'm just about to turn in my second draft of a book. Um, about it's called Send Me. Uh, and it's about Shannon Kent, who was a Navy cryptologist who worked in uh, NSW for years before going up to um, the uh, special mission unit level uh, in her field and uh, ultimately was killed in Syria in January 2019. Um, and uh, her husband, who was also, you know, they had actually met in Iraq back in uh, 2007, I think, uh, back at the, uh, the Ville. Um, and, but that was kind of a touch miss. They didn't meet again until they were both going through OTC together. Um, and so they reconnected there years later, you know, going through. And so they were both in the same unit there for a while and everything. And, and Joe had, uh, her husband, Joe, um, you know, he was actually out working, uh, for people, uh, you know, he just retired from military and went into a different part of the uh, government service and was out abroad working when he found out that his wife died, you know? Um, like he had his team leader come in and be like, Hey man, I got to tell, you know, and I won't go, I won't spoil the book or anything like that. But, you know, so after she died, you know, he had to basically race home to, to just to meet her body at Dover, you know, and, uh, you know, two weeks later, you know, she had this incredible impact. She spoke seven languages, cancer survivor, raised two kids, worked at the highest levels of special operations, had an impact there, you know, and so they, uh, she was the first enlisted uh, sailor to ever be buried at the uh, uh, at the Naval Academy to, to have her service at the Naval Academy. So Joe asked me to come down for that. She'd apparently read um, one of my previous stories and was a fan of my work. And so he wanted me to come do a story on her and reached out through Evan, um, actually. And, and I was like, yeah, of course, I'd be honored. I didn't know anything about her at the time other than clearly was not. I mean, back when that Syria attack happened, the news was talking about like, oh, is people out to lunch at a cafe or something like that? This as Joe says, this wasn't the going out to lunch crowd, uh, you know, and especially you look at who died. It's like, yeah, that's not where, yeah, that's not the, the, that's not the going out to lunch crowd. Um, <laughs> so I kind of knew, you, you know, you can read these yeah. obituaries after a while, know kind of what people were up to, you know? Um, and so I knew she was involved in some stuff, but I didn't know everything. And I go to this memorial um, at the Naval Academy and, you know, meet Joe, meet the family and everything. And man, the stories that people had to tell about her and who's telling these stories, right? This is a who's who of the most shadowy aspects of the soft and intelligence communities that are at this thing. Uh, I mean, closed to the media. I was the only media person allowed there. And uh, like, it was a closed thing. And listening to these people talk about this and like, it was like, whole, like this was a really special person. Everybody who dies in yeah. service of the country, it's a special person. I, I don't mean to say, you guys know what I'm saying. No, no, right? I got you. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But like, this was somebody that was not like, they had left a very 
big impact on the world uh, that we come from, you know? And so that's, I remember that night being telling Joe, I was like, man, I'm sure you're going to get, you know, because the New York Times did a piece on her, the Washington Post, all these places, right? And I was going to do my story. And, you know, I remember telling Joe that night, like, hey, man, I'm sure you're going to get all sorts of pitches from people that want to write a book about her and everything like that, because it's like, hey, female protagonist, special operator, died in combat, like, it checks a lot of boxes, right, um, for publishers in that kind of world. Well, and, and in 2019, too, that was, you know, good or bad, that was the Me Too movie. I, 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 it yeah. was all going on. So, yeah, that's all going on. And that good or bad, but that's the truth. Hey, that's just what guys, yeah. if you're pissed off, that I, I don't give a shit. That's just how yep. it was, man. Yep. And so I told Joe that night, though, I was like, man, I, I just would like to throw my hat in the ring of people you might consider. And he's very polite. He didn't agree. He's very polite about it. I was like, yeah, okay. You know, we'll think, you know, <laughs> I think he wanted to see what I wrote. You know, what, sure. I think he wanted to see what all these different reporters, because I think they also probably all pitched him on it. Um, he, I think he wanted to see who wrote the best story and stuff. And after I published my story on Shannon uh, on Coffee or Die, um, you know, he called me like the next day, like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this book. And so that started this progress. And that's, that's what you awesome. see behind me here of, this timeline of somebody who spent nearly 20 years in service of their country doing all these, you know, crazy things at, at every level. And then because of, man, there's a lot she did that I can't talk about that can't be put sure. out there. Yeah, so yeah. how do you organize all this? And this is where that planning comes in, you know, to kind of tie all this back. I, I'm not using this just to plug my book here, but like this all goes into like you have somebody's entire life that you have to tell the story of. And you have to do it while tiptoeing around a lot of really sensitive yeah. things and talking to a lot of people who will talk to you on background, but I have no interest whatsoever in having their yep. name or anything like that out there. There's a lot of journalistic ethics sort of things that you run into because you're recreating somebody's life, uh, you know, and kind of recreating things that they did. Yeah. But you weren't there. There's no video of it happening. So you got to be really organized going into this. It's It's a huge task to do this right and again it kind of goes back to that accountability and holding yourself to a high standard of like i'm not going to put out a shit product on this well and and you understand security you understand you know need to know you understand where i think that's why that's why i would pick you i he understands that and he doesn't have an agenda does the new york times have of course they have an agenda does the washington post have an agenda sure does fox news have they all have agendas. There's Marty Scovlin who served with the Rangers, who wrote two books, who knows what knows what clearances are, knows what need to know is, knows knows what things he can put out there could could get people killed. Does he understand that? Yeah, I'm gonna pick Marty because Marty doesn't have an agenda. He just wants to tell a story, and he's a pretty decent writer too. That helps. <laughs> yeah, you know, what, you know what I'll throw out there too. I mean, beyond just your service, Marty also doing the piece on Standing Rock, which led to the book and. Yep. You know, you went out there during those protests and you interviewed people on both sides and you weren't in there with any specific, all right, I'm going to write a, by no means yeah. write a hit piece on the people protesting this or, you know, a, about the Native Americans that were there. You were able to look at this as objective as possible. And like, that's just what you do. And you have great integrity. Yeah, yeah I've tried to make that kind of my brand is like, yeah, you'll know I'm ge- I, I think that's like a good reporter, right? As you go into something genuine, genuinely curious and want to know more about this thing and then relay that information. Uh, I tell people all the time, I think there's a lot of crossovers between a reporter's job and somebody in the in the IC and the intelligence community. It's like you're ultimately going out, interviewing people, cultivating sources, yeah. writing reports about what you see, what you hear, and what can be proven. Uh, and in the IC, it's like, hey, it's going to result in people having to go put their, their life on the line. Uh, you know, so it's got to be right. And, and reporters, it's like, man, 
you know, depending on what type of journalism you're doing, right? Like there's some stuff where it's like, yeah, nobody's life is on the line with this. Some people, there is, there you is. know, some yeah. people, there's been some stuff that's been put out there. It can absolutely impact people's lives oh, um, yeah. in, in a life or death sort of way. And um, so I think I just try to go into every situation and set aside any personal feelings that I have and just do the best I can. And I think that's the thing with, you know, you look at coffee or die, right? Like Black Rifle Coffee owns it. Obviously, Black Rifle Coffee has postured themselves as kind of, you know, yeah. uh, you know, in the way that they have. Right. And, um, you know, coffee or die, we've from the get go. I think a lot of people are a lot of times surprised because I think that they think we'll be like a. I think when they hear that Black Rifle Coffee has a magazine, they think it'll be like a Breitbart sort of thing. Right. Um, and those and guys it, have their niche, yeah. right? Like they have their niche, they do their thing. But I think you come to ours and it's like, it's not that, it's not the Huff Post or anything either. It's not pandering to one side or the other. It's just like, hey, we're just putting stuff out there yeah. as we see and hear it and what we can prove. And, you know, love us, hate us or in between, like this is kind of what we see, you know. And I think I think we've done okay. I think we've carved out a little like a little corner of the internet for ourselves. And, well, and we've got some readers that really appreciate that. Oh, no, you, you've done it. And, and I, I don't want you to get in trouble. Yeah. The black, I'll say it. Black Rifle Coffee. And I know Evan, I know Matt, I know GT. Yeah. And I know Evan, Evan's, it's, Evan, it's Evan is, I'm not a company spokesperson. So I, I'm careful about what yeah, I think. I, I, I'll, I'll say, uh, and Evan is, Evan's, <laughs> Evan is probably one of the best instructors. People don't realize this. I tell this to everybody. Who's the best instructor that's ever taught you. I'll be honest. Evan, Evan Hafer was the best that I've ever taught with had the most patience, especially with Afghanis. I worked with him teaching Afghanis. And also he put me through when I had to go back and revet every two years through the agency. He was one of the instructors, tremendous instructor. And, and they're, they're great guys. I, I think they're all tremendous guys. What you see is what you get. That's how they are. They're goofs. Evan has always been a goof. I, he would, I still, he's, I thought I'm a goof. I can't hold the candle to Evan, but um, you know, but they do it. They, it's the vet bro community. That's hey guys, that's how it is. It's just they came in at a great time when there really wasn't anything except your old company, Ian. Oh, you with, that, yeah, we, I didn't know if we could say that. I didn't know I if you want me care. to say that. Okay, <laughs> but um, and, but and they came in with something very special. It was you know, it's one of those perfect times. They're perfect, yeah, right. And and they got it. And but a lot of that there wasn't anything for the vet bro, the two A community, and they and but they did it right, and mm -hmm. they did their product right. And I, I understand how you want, because now that's not looked at as always a good thing. And I see that in the New York Times piece. We talked about it where now I saw him trying to distance themselves from it, but you're kind of distant. And I, I'm not going to get in. That's that's business. That's his deal. Evan's smart. Yeah. He'll figure it out. But when I saw you, you did the two right. You know, Luke wrote two things for me. You guys were spot on. It wasn't Benghazi. Oh, fuck. I can't say Benghazi hero. Oh, shit. He hates Hillary Clinton. Oh, shit. it's like, geez, that was that. so long ago. It was. Here's the story. And I, I admired that because like, yeah, this is, they're not, this isn't black rifle coffee per se of this is, this is Marty. This is Marty. And I, I saw you do because, yeah. you know, I, I have much respect for what you do because you do try to keep it down the middle and, and being a hippie ranger, I know you're right down the middle. <laughs> You've got yeah. both sides and your, your ethics. I wouldn't have had you, you, you added validity to the ranger way. You're a little right up in the back. And thank you for that. Um, added validity in the community, but also also in outside of the community to the Ranger way because of your ethics. I wouldn't ask you to do that if if and the coffee dies the same way. So I say, guys out there, read it. If and even if you're not a two A supporter, read coffee or die. You're gonna get the skinny. You're gonna get what they know, 
and what they've heard and what they've seen, not what somebody's told them down the line that's been filtered through whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, I even, you know, my daughter goes to school and their parents, they don't know anything about me. Most of my daughter's friends, parents at school, they didn't, they weren't in the military. They don't know anything about like the world kind of that we come from. Right. Um, but I've handed a couple of them, you know, we've, we've got a print magazine now. I've handed a couple of them. And I was like, you know, the part, last one that we published was about the withdrawal of Afghanistan. And obviously every American kind of was tracking yeah. what was going on there. And some of them kind of, they kind of know that I was in the army or something. Right. Like, and, um, <laughs> you know, they kind of asked me about like what I thought about it or whatever. And I, you know, I'd hand them the magazine and be like, Hey, if you, not, it doesn't really matter what I personally think, but like, if you want to get voices from a few different people that kind of come, like, what do veterans think? Uh, you know, and it's not a monolith, but what do a couple of different veterans, like, read this magazine. There's a bunch of good stories in here, a bunch of different opinions represented, a bunch of different feelings represented. Um, this will give you an idea about what the people who kind of carried the burden of this war for the past 20 years think about all of this. You know, and you as uh, Joe American that just you know, good for you, didn't have to be involved with it really at all, wasn't impacted by this 20 year war, like at all. Um, like, read this, and you'll kind of understand a little bit, you know, and I don't like fault people for like, oh, they didn't join the military. It's not that sort of thing. It's just like, hey, if you want, if you are curious, and you want to know how people feel about this thing that kind of were intimately involved with yeah. this, that I, I'll hand them that. And yeah, our magazine is like we it's oriented, obviously, towards people in the military, first responders, veterans, like that sort of demographic. But it's not exclusive to that either. Anybody could pick this up yeah, and it's true. probably find at least a couple stories in there that they are either entertained or informed. By. Yeah. You, hey, man. you know what I wanted to ask you, Marty, because I was just thinking how Chris mentioned, um, you know, all the notes that you have in the back. And the funny thing was the last time I had Luke on, he has the exact same thing, the storyboard in the back, <laughs> which shows me that you guys really love writing it, because beyond just writing articles for coffee or die, you're also writing a book. You're, you're always writing something new. Like you'll take a break from a writing project to do another writing project. And you really have, <laughs> you have to love it to do that. So I was just wondering, you know, as we said, you wrote one of the early books about the modern day Ranger, I guess you could say. Yeah. When did, when did you start writing? Uh, right around then. Yeah. <laughs> Was, um, was there a reason, brother? I guess my, my yeah. would say going into that, how, how did you, were you going through anything? Were you just trying to find direction? Cause you just let, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something. And, and yeah, I, I most Rangers, it's not writing, brother. We yeah. don't, I, I hate, I, I hate writing. I got, I'm glad I did the books I did, but I don't want to do another. So yeah. yeah. What, what was your, what was your mind state at that? That's what I think I want to get. Yeah. So I was, you know, you look at, if you guys remember, I ran this company called Blackside Concepts yeah, uh, yeah, for yeah. a couple of years and that was kind of my transition out of the military. I, so just kind of like the origin story here, cause I, I kind of need to tell it to answer this question. Yeah. yeah no, I no, you got time. Please go. <laughs> but you know, so I was in range of battalion until uh, spring of 2010. And at that time, my last two deployments, I was, uh, doing some stuff that I'd found kind of a different passion in the military um, on like the technical surveillance side. And I, you know, uh, knew that there was units that specialized in that sort of thing. And that was like, okay, I want to stay in the military. I plan on doing like a full 20 years and I want to go to that level. And uh, to do that, I, I'm going to change my MOS to be a crypto linguist, go learn a different language, learn the tech side of this stuff and be really great at this thing right like i was never that guy that was like you know like gi joe assaulter like i was never like there were guys that were really good at that you know 
um, and lived and breathed that, that wasn't really me, but I really got into this like technical surveillance stuff. And that's what I wanted to do. And, but the thing was, is I got married between my fourth and fifth deployments and my wife was definitely ready for me to, you know, she was graduating college and wanted to go back home up to the Northeast, wanted me to get out and come with her. Obviously, I want to stay in the military, but I was like, you know, I'll give her the break from deployments. There's no real army bases up in the Northeast. What's the one thing that you can do in the army and go anywhere in the country? It's, it's recruiting, right? And I was like, okay, like, I'll, you know, uh, so let people know this range regiment, the rest of the army that you will get voluntold to go either be a drill sergeant or a recruiter. recruiter in the special yeah. operations community, you're what's called fenced in. You, you are not subject to those uh, detailed assignments. So I was kind of an anomaly and got brought into the Sergeant Major's office at 175, but like, what the hell are you doing? You know, but I volunteered to go be a recruiter. And my my mindset was I heard that if you volunteer, you can pick where you go. So I could bring my wife back up to the Boston area. She can be near family, get her career going after graduating college. I'll do this couple of years. It keeps me in uniform. And then from there, I can go do the MOS change, go switch over and, and all that sort of stuff. So that was my whole plan. And I'd actually heard from somebody up at that unit that actually they really look highly popular. If you have both a special operations background, like a, a direct action background, as well as a recruiting background, which because what's recruiting, it's a lot of working by yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have to be kind of mature to go do that job and represent, you know, the military and communities. And they actually like, that would actually be a pretty killer resume as far as getting your foot in the door at this unit and being seen favorably. And so I was like, okay, Roger, if there's a way I can differentiate myself there from all the other Rangers and, mm-hmm soft people, you know, so we did that. I volunteered to go be a recruiter. We didn't get quite the army being what it is. Uh, they didn't get me in Boston. I ended up in the middle of nowhere in New York. Um, <laughs> where in New York? Where in New York? What's close, man. Northeast. Yeah. I mean, uh, Finger Lakes area there. Yeah. Wait, so what, what area? In the Finger Lakes area. like oh, okay. minutes Which really is like middle of nowhere, but it's beautiful. Beautiful. I liked living there. Was not where we were trying to go. Sure. By about six hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but so we go and do that. And, um, during that time, like I said, my intention is like, I went and took the D lab, crushed the D lab. Wow. You know, I'm getting ready to make my transition. We're like, okay, we're going to go up to Monterey for a year and a half, learn a different language. Then I'm like, I'll probably, you know, before I apply to this unit, I'm trying to go to any get experience doing this new job. So I figure I'll go to like a sod a or something like that in 10th group. Maybe I'll try to get to like Stuttgart or do something cool like that, you know, and go work on a sod a for a year or two, and then throw my packet sure. in to go to this other place. That was my big that was my plan, right? Um, about two years into that three-year recruiting tour, I had this recurring um, uh, memory, not not a nightmare or anything like that, not like a flashback, but just a recurring memory that really stuck with me of on my fourth deployment, we just had this really stacked platoon, right? We were, this was 2008 going into nine. People had started transitioning over to Afghanistan. We were the half asset, the helicopter assault force asset for the entire country of Iraq. And it was literally like, man, we're landing on rooftops in Mosul one night, Baghdad another night, El Kame another night. Uh-huh. Like, and uh-huh. we had, our, you know, our platoon sergeant was this rock star. He is now somebody that has continued to do incredible things. We had a great PL. The squad leaders were all rock stars. Two out of the four of those squad leaders are at tier one units. Wow. Uh, our team leaders, we had alpha team leaders that are typically an E5 slot. We had E6 alpha team leaders. Wow. Senior E5 Bravo team leaders, like the retention in our platoon was through the roof. We had pri- like outside of the t- like two new guys that we had that had just showed up before that deployment, the privates all had one or two deployments. Wow. Like this wow. was a yeah. stacked platoon. And I just had this recurring memory of getting in the ready room one night, getting ready to go out. It wasn't anything special. I don't even remember what we did that night, but it was just, 
you know, jocking up for another mission. And I just remember kind of looking around and it just hit me and I kind of took it all in about how lucky I am to, to have stood shoulder to shoulder with these, to be jocking up with these guys, you know, and going out into that moonless night with these guys to go do bad things to bad people. Like, it, and, and like, I, I'm giving myself chills right now as I think about it. That's you know? awesome, man. No, that's awesome. Um, that's awesome. So, you know, two or three years into a rec- recruiting tour, I just, I'm, you know, a little ways through a, a pack of beer and like, man, I need to write this down. You know, I know how fleeting memory can be. And I was like, let me just write this memory down. And, um, you know, and I did. And, and I got done with it. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I bet some of the guys will think this is cool. And I kind of, you know, put it out on like social media. River. It kind of ended up like going viral through the like definitely through the soft community and then through kind of the larger military community. And all of a sudden guys are asking for this, you know, on a shirt or a poster or something like that. And that launches this whole idea of black side concepts. I'm going to put this out. Yeah. Well, that company started to do really well. That leads me to get out of the military. I'm not getting out of the military to go be a writer. You know, I didn't realize it at that point that my actual talent here is writing and is storytelling, not being some sort of like businessman entrepreneur, but that's what I thought I was getting out to go do is this is going too well if I suck at it, I can always come back in, you know, I'm sure. a recruiter. I know how to do that. Um, so, you know, that's what I did. So I go to go run this company for a little bit. And while I'm running this company, I move out to Colorado Springs to be closer to Leo Jenkins, uh, okay. who I brought in on that sort of stuff. And we, um, while I was living out there, I found out that one of the gold star mothers, um, and we'd launched a blog at this point, like hit the wood line and later have a journal and stuff. And again, I just, I was writing for it. These things were performing very well hundreds of thousands and eventually millions of people were reading them per month. I didn't, I still didn't realize that this is where I need to be focusing my efforts, not peddling t-shirts and posters and shit, you know, but um, violence of action came about because I, you know, I get out to Colorado, I'm running this business and a mile down the road from me is a woman named Scotty Domey. Scotty Domey is the mother of Sergeant First Class Chris Domey, who was killed on his, uh, I believe, 14th deployment as a ranger. Wow legend uh, out of 275 um just really incredible guy and i remember going over to her house one day because i wanted to give her one of our prints or something because it's like hey i got a gold star mother living right down the road from me i should go give her something you know like and say hi introduce myself well i come into her house and she's got a little kind of like shadow box area of all of her son's stuff and she's asking me like what the basic stuff in there is like what you know, and she's asking me like, what's a JTAC? And these things that were like the identity of her son. And I realized like, she knows nothing about yeah. this legend. Her son is a legend and, and, and hero. And she doesn't know anything about it. How many other guys are like that? Because what, what is the thing about the range community? We don't fucking say shit. Yeah. Until, right? until, like, we don't yeah, talk, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and there's nothing out there. How many <laughs> other kids, parents, wives, brothers, sisters, all these other things, you know, and, and I had a hunch back then, even though I was fresh out of battalion, I had a hunch. Hey, you know, and we we're all oh, OPSEC this. We don't talk about anything. Man, when you get older, that's why all these Vietnam guys are writing books right now. Because when you get older, you realize how silly that is. Yeah, yeah, you need yeah. to record the stuff to inspire the next generation, yeah. to record history and record the sacrifice of your brothers in arms. But Because well, you, you write about others or if you write about yourself, yeah. you, you're doing it like you said. Yep. I'm writing about myself, but I'm writing from the perspective of, God, how lucky I am to be with these fucking awesome pipe hitting yep. sons of bitches. Yep. And that that's the difference between most ranger, most ranger books out there than others. It's not, they look what the fuck I did. Look yep. how hard it was for me. It was holy shit. Yeah. It was hard for me, but what got me through was that my buddy that had it harder and he was sucking it up. And that's, yep. that's what's, that, that's awesome. And, and Havoc Journal guys, if you haven't, 
don't go find all that's like some of the best. And it was in the beginning stages. That's how I got to know who you were yeah. through, through that. And then Leo, who we've had on the show before Leo's an awesome, love that surfer, yeah. Je- Jeff Spicoli motherfucker. <laughs> but, um, but read, go find the havoc journal stuff. That is straight up hardcore at the beginning ranger. If you want to know what it's like to be a ranger, read havoc journal that I can't tell you anything. I'll go read any book, but go read havoc journal and find all that old. That's how to be a ranger. But yeah, I, I, when you said that, I'm like, Holy shit, I forgot about fucking havoc journal. He's, yeah. that was the shit back in. But a, a lot of that became what was in violence of action. I would say, right. Like yeah, violence yeah, yeah. of action kind of is those stories, right? Well, Havoc Journal was bigger than just the Ranger community. Yeah, yeah true, because yeah. of just where we came from, yeah, we tended to have a lot of Ranger stuff on there. But all the stuff that was in the book, you know, we went out and talked to, you know, the, the goal, like I said, after I talked to Scotty and was like, okay, there needs to be something that tells the story. And I just kind of made the goal of like, all right, first 10 years of the GWAP, let's show. I knew the Ranger. And I was, you know, coming off of, rec- there's a little bit of I'm coming off of recruiting and constantly had people being like, oh, I guess you weren't good enough to be a Green Beret or (laughs) something like that. and So there's a little bit of my chip on my shoulder. Like people don't realize how much the Ranger community has contributed to the war on terror. Like people have no idea. And, uh, you know, it's just like we were talking about at the beginning here. Like we're going after some of the top people in the country after a while. And so it was like, all right, we need to do a book that chronicles the first 10 years because then I don't run into too many OPSEC things, right? Like I don't want to do current day stuff. So let's say the first 10 years, and um, I'll just talk to everybody from the initial jump into Rhino uh, wow. okay. up until, wow. you know, the most recent kind of, you know, Team Merrill type things that were happening in Afghanistan and um, and try to represent every year and tell the story of one, like these very human stories of guys in combat. It wasn't a tell all like we're not talking about the specific equipment we sure. use or, you know, it's not a tell all. It was just those human moments in combat. Um, and then also talk about the transformation of the regiment, how we changed as an organization. You know, and um, and I did it right. You know, we did that book and I ran it through the regiment to make sure it was good to go and all that stuff. Like we did it right. And, um, you know, there was still plenty of Rangers that were unhappy about it and felt like there just shouldn't be any books about Rangers out there. But there was a lot more guys. I still when I go out on assignment now for Coffee or Die, I'll go out and be at, you know, one of these fobs around the world or a a training exercise kind of in the trenches with these guys. And I'll have somebody come up, some E4, E5 come up and be like, hey, man, uh, just want to let you know that, like, I joined the army because uh, I read violence of action in high school or, wow. or I heard you on that podcast with Jack and you know, but it's like pretty cool. It's like, man, that's yeah. good. That's part of the, yeah. How, part does, of that- how, how does that feel? Because you know, what's weird. I've had people say to me, like I listened, it was really at the time with Safra because we mentioned earlier, but like I joined the military because of you guys, which is crazy for me because I, I never was in the military, but for you, like, how does that feel? Because there's, there's ups and downs. And, and also, I, I mean, I can say at least for me, like what Chris and I do, we never do a this, this show is not like a be all you can be recruiting thing. We'll talk yeah. about the positives, the negatives, <laughs> the like negatives, the heartbreak, yeah. the guys who come back losing limbs. It, you know, it's definitely not a, a rosy picture. And I know that you do do the same. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably I, I would assume like a little different to hear that because as especially with you being a recruiter, these books were not made to like romanticize this well, go out and join there's a lot of negative stuff that's that people, how i was as a yeah. recruiter too though and i think that's why i you saw a lot of the people that i put in the army ended up going into the special operations community there's a saying in the recruiting community of like you recruit in your own image so if you're a supply guy you tend to put a lot of people into supply and logistics if you're a, a medic you tend to put a lot of like medical people and because you just tend to seek out your own type know how to talk to them and then they end up coming in kind sure. of because of you a lot of people 
joined the military because of their recruiter. If And, you know, I don't think a lot of people want to admit that, but I tended to put, I put something like 18 people into the Ranger Regiment, another two or three wow. into the SF community, you know, <laughs> talked countless SEALs out of becoming SEALs. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but my whole thing as a, a recruiter, though, is I was, and I think this is why I was successful, is because I completely railed against the notion of the recruiter that sugarcoats everything and paints a yeah. rosy picture. I, I mean, I talked about pay problems. I talked about how I'm supposed to be in Boston right now and said I'm in, you know, Auburn, New York. And, you know, I talked about all that stuff and I talked about deployments. I was like, man, you realize deployments, like you will do some of the coolest things you've ever done in your life, things that you could never possibly wrap your head around. And then you will also do some of the shittiest things that seem like the biggest waste of time. Like you will <laughs> never get months of your life back yeah. that you wish you could get back. In some cases, years back, right? Yeah, and I would talk about all of that. I would talk about like, man, there were some kids. Um, there were some kids uh, in the in the office the day that I got a phone call about a couple of guys um, that I knew very well and grew up in battalion with who'd been killed. I got the call that day, and I just happened to be at work in the office, and uh, you know. It's not like I broke down and cried, but man, I fucking threw my phone against the wall and smashed it in pieces and just stormed out. And, you know, thankfully the uh, fellow recruiters that I worked with, you know, they kind of covered for me. It was like, Hey man, I don't know. You know, they told me later, they're like, Hey, we told me like, we don't know what just happened, but Marty doesn't act like that. So it must be something, you know? And so I was very fortunate to be around some good guys. And those recruiters was around like, man, one of them, none of them came from the soft community, but like one of them had two purple hearts from uh, Fallujah. Wow. One of them had a silver star from the Cor- the Gaul was in the same firefight wow. as the guys that got the Medal of Honor from that. Like I had some fucking pipe hitters as fellow uh, recruiters. And so it was a great environment to be around and, and those guys. But I never, for that reason, it's like, man, the military is not for everybody. If it is for you, though, no, you will experience the highest highs and the lowest lows. And for that, I think it's a worthy thing to do, if even for just a short period of your life. Maybe it's not your career, but, man, I think it's a good thing for a lot of people. And it's not right for everybody. <laughs> no, you know, some people right. shouldn't. They, they would be a better service to their country in other forms of I think everybody should serve in some way. I don't think that the military is the only way to serve your, your, your country or your community. Well, and you just got to steer them correctly. I, I, I wasn't, I'm glad it worked out for me twice. I, you know, fuck up and then get back in again, but, but you're right. You, you have to be honest and, and the way politics are nowadays. And, and that's a, that's hard for me now is because I've seen behind the curtain, like mm-hmm. really behind the curtain. So when people ask me now and they do a kid, Hey, should I join or hey, I'm going to join the military? I, I don't still don't talk about it. I just, mm-hmm. I'm very honest. Like, hey, yeah. you, you do it, but do it because you want to serve your brother to your left or your right. Patriotism, yeah, I know you've got a little bit of it. You might lose a little bit of that, though, because of what you're going to see, especially if you're going into the soft community or you want to go that route. But it still is very honorable. But just know that, yeah, it, it's not sunshine and roses. And and you might you you might get left behind. You never yeah. know. Whip from your government, but your team, your buddies will never leave you behind. Yeah. And that is something that you just, you can't get anywhere else. You, the team you, know, you, bring up, you might become less patriotic. I don't think it's that you become less patriotic. I think it's that you actually, you go from being infatuated with your country. The romanticism. It's like when you're infatuated with, with a new girl that you just met or something like that. It's the difference between infatuation and being in love. Love despite 
the shortcomings, perfect. despite the, the the things that are wrong with a person, right? We, none of us are perfect people. Our country isn't perfect. But I think when, after you've served your country and seen the good and the bad in the most extreme scenarios, you have this deep love that is like a marital sort of love. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not that new love. It's not that infatuation of like, oh, I want to, you know, uh, I don't want to take you home and just... You know, <laughs> I don't know where the lines are. In this so, um, but you know, it's not that. It's not that new teenager puppy love that I think you have when you first join the military, where you're like, "Yeah, America." You know, uh, I think when after you, uh, you know, serve, you come out of it and you've got this like deep love and appreciation, despite all the faults. You yeah. see where you see where the shortcomings are, but I still and, and I. I, I still love public speaking. I've actually like yourself. I that's one thing I do enjoy. So when I'm done speaking, I will come and do an AR on myself. Where did I go wrong? And I think it's gotten better as a, and you know, the events I've done, are, of course, are getting better. So I, but that's what I always tell the, I, I love this country. I do. I love this. I love this country, but do I love it? Like I did when I first went in where it was fuck yeah, America. Fuck. No, it's not like that anymore. I love it yeah. because of all the things that, we have here. I hate our government. I, I hate, I'm sorry, guy. I do. I hate them. And be my life, I hate them. Yep. Hate, every, hate every part of it. I think it's a piece of just a broken and you have terrible people in there. But as far as the people in this country and this country itself, I love, we're still in the greatest country in the world. So you're right. You're, you're spot on. I, I totally agree. And that's what I'm glad you said, put it that way. Cause I didn't think of it that way, but you're right. That's a great example. Uh, and for new guys going in, listen to Mr. Scovland. He is super intelligent. He knows what he's talking about. You, you know, know the thing about love too, just like with your kids and things like that, you love your kids. You also hold them accountable. Accountable. Yeah. yeah. You know? And that's yeah. where I see myself now and what I do with like reporting and things like that. Just because you hold your country accountable or your government accountable or the military accountable doesn't mean that you don't love it or you don't care for it. Yeah. It's, Hey, I'm, I'm grounding my kid or disciplining my kid because I want better for them. I want them to learn from this. I want them to be better. It's I, I I'm saying something because I care. It's like in battalion, it's like you're, be nervous when your team leader quits smoking. Quits, yeah, that's be nervous that, when they yeah. give up on you and you're not even worth smoking anymore. Because you're if pretty much smoking, they think you're salvageable. They 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 want to see you develop. You know, I, it's yeah. like with your kids. It's like that with your government. And I like I said, I think like what I'm doing now with reporting and journalism is like when we have to. I would love to tell good news stories all the time, right? And just kick ass like human interest, like people doing rad stuff in rad places. Like that's fun to do. But occasionally we put these things out that are like holding people accountable. And, uh, you know, it's, we don't do it because we have malice for the country or malice for, for anybody. It's because we want it to be better. And we expect better as taxpayers, as Americans, as people who have seen what has been sacrificed in the name of this country, we expect. Better. Yeah. 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 You, know, you know, what's interesting that I wanted to mention when you're talking about this, about love of country, about people being recruited. Um, I could say this from as objective of a standpoint, you know, from what I do at this point, as you guys know, I've interviewed hundreds of veterans from all different backgrounds, from all branches. There's honestly only one guy I could remember that I interviewed who said, I regret joining the military. Um, Michael Behenna, you know, and, and Michael did several years in Fort Leavenworth for uh, the killing of a guy which he believes was in self-defense, um, was it was eventually the set, the commuted, um, got a full presidential pardon. In, in many ways, a hero of mine, a guy who I wore the wristband of because um, it reminded me while he was in prison that that, hey, this is a guy who felt he did the right thing at the time and is serving time you know, for something that, that, that he feels he needed to do in self-defense. And it reminded me like, no matter how bad things get, 
things could always be worse. And that's honestly the only guy I interviewed when I asked him, hey, do you regret joining the military? He said, yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I wish I would have never gone. Oh, and that's the, and I understand it. And, but I, yeah, of the hundreds of people who joined, including guys who lost limbs, including guys who lost brothers like both of you, um, that's the only person I could think of who said, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have joined. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean the awkward silence there. Sorry, <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that no. out. But, but I'm, I'm, no, I'm, 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 I'm with, I'm with, I, I, I'm happy I joined. I, I, if I didn't like what I was doing, I wouldn't have done been a dumbass and joined again just to do it all over again. I, I did enjoy yeah. it. I, and, man, and you know what? Those pinks and greens that they got got that new class A's. I was like, man, I just about go back into the reserves just for that old school World War II style did, uniform. Do wearing. they have they they have the old ones now? They brought the yeah. They went back, back to the old like World War II style. No like, shit. Yeah, I was like, uh, man, I just about go back in just to get one of those. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, back maybe, maybe they're trying to bring that bring that old the old integrity of values and shit back. But man, that's that's one thing I, I just think is if we just. Are the, the 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 guys, the grunts are still solid. The people on the ground are still solid. But damn, we just we got to get away from the people that they're putting up in charge anymore. You got to be able to have a commander up there that can question that commander in chief every once in a while. Yeah. I, we don't want yes men, and that's that's what I see in the military, and that's why I warn guys like we're going into like guys, your your uppers. I don't know if it's like this. It's so calm. I hope not. But I'm telling you on the big picture. Yeah, you've got politicians in charge. We're well, back in the day, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Colin Powell was like that or Norman. Maybe they were somewhat. They all are. They, they've got to be up to that rank. You've got to kiss some sort of ass to get to that rank. But I, I just well, maybe, I think it depends on the person, right? Like there's a yeah. couple of leaders that you see are like, oh, that person seems like they're probably questioning yeah. everything that they're told. And then you see the guys that are like, they seem like they're just saying Roger and, you know, going out and doing yeah. whatever they're told. And it's like, you know, and I feel like that that's probably not unique to just right now. But I think that there's I think that the people that we remember in history and the way we probably the reason we probably have right. rose colored glasses about back in those days is because the people that we remember are the ones that did stand for something. Yeah. They're the ones that, you know, nobody remembers the people that were just yes men and went and executed. Nobody remembers them. It's the people that went up and made a difference and stood up. And like, those are the people you remember. And I think it'll be like this even now. I think that 50 years from now, you know, I'll have grandkids or something that are like, man, back when you were there, it was just nothing but heroes. And, <laughs> and you know, also like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just only seeing the people that were like the heroes, you know, that's, no, so, you, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, but I mean, you know, Ian, to your point, yeah, I don't. I don't regret going to the military, but I don't really regret anything I've ever done. You know, I've gone through yeah. the military the only place I've ever experienced hardship either. You know? Yeah. I no, think that's, that's the best way I think right. to live your life, you know? to, to not have all yeah. these regrets. And you are a guy who goes for it, whether it's, you know, like what you did with Marty. I mean, what you did with Leo of, of this yeah. nomadic veterans thing or anything. And, you know, I really wanted to talk about this. I want to make, and I know this may be an emotional subject for you, but I, I didn't want to go this whole podcast and not bring this up. Like the thing that stands out about Marty's values and integrity and the type of person that he is to me, honestly, way more than your military service is when I got to see you with your dad in his final days when your dad was diagnosed with ALS and the fact that you put your entire life on hold and you said, dad, what's on your bucket list of what you want to see? And your dad had countries he wanted to see in New York City and you took cool, him all yeah. over the country. Yeah, and cool, and yeah. the, the fact that I got to meet your dad and that he... His attitude, like the fact that your dad knew 
his time was ticking and he was only going to be on this planet for so much longer. And he had a huge smile being with you and getting to see all the things that he wanted to see. Like that, that attitude was incredible. And it's something I'll never forget. Well, yeah, that trip that, you know, so we were on our way to uh, Norway because that's where our, you know, his grandparents immigrated over from Norway. He'd always wanted to go, never had the chance. You don't, you don't look, no, no you don't look Norway. <laughs> I know, right? I, you look like you're, you're from Puerto Rico. Like, I could never yeah. get. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he wanted to go over there, but he also had, like I said, we looked at his whole list and he'd always wanted to go to New York City because his mom had always wanted to go to New York City. His mom died of ALS. She never got to go. And so he wanted to kind of complete that unfinished business for her. And so we just, it was just a quick, you know, kind of one night stopover. I just made sure to schedule the flights apart so that we could have a night there. And, you know, it was really cool to be able to hit Ian up and do something with my dad that I don't think I would have been able to do otherwise, which was take him up in a skyscraper in New York City and, and, you know, in Manhattan and kind of show him a view from the city that he probably wouldn't have seen before you know well, and a lot of people and, still won't see you and you get yeah. that's that's awesome man it's just, that just, was just that was really cool and you know my dad for somebody who'd grown up in south dakota and seen a little bit out there while in his couple of years in the army but he'd never been in new york never had really any interest in it you know man he came back from that trip and he was like trying to talk my mom into moving to new york <laughs> you know, he loved it he loved ian he loved the people that he met there we went over to emmett o'looney you guys say you go to emmett i'm yep. gonna ask you did you go to the pub you know and, well, as long as it was there i every time i've gone to new york city i've gone to emmett's pub uh while it was there and i don't think it's there no, now yeah. but no he, he uh, and i still talk yeah. to him every once in a while you know but uh he's probably listening you know he's I a took great my guy. dad there and yeah i took my dad there and he just he, man he saw the best side of new york city he loved it and then we went over to norway and did some really cool things, but all that was thank thankful. You know, I wouldn't have been in a position to do that if I hadn't gotten that history channel show, which kind of gave me, you know, a little bit of money to, it wasn't like, Hey, I can retire money, but it was just like lump sums of money that, uh, you know, for, for shows that like was like, okay, I can buy some plane tickets. I can pay for some hotels and we weren't staying in five-star accommodations, but we were able to go do a really cool trip that if we had, I'd wanted to do that trip with him earlier in the Dungeons. I just didn't have the money yet. And so by the time we got to that point, he was on the walker at that point. Man, it gave me a whole new appreciation for people that have disabilities about what it's like for them to try to get around a place like New York City or get around a place in, in a foreign country. It, it's super difficult and seeing that reality. But, you know, he got around on that walker, you know, walking all over Manhattan, going all over Norway and uh, you know, getting on trains, getting on airplanes, flirting with the the, the uh, flight attendants. <laughs> uh, you know, it was really cool to see. But if we had waited even another month to do that trip, we wouldn't have been able to do it. Like, that's how fast he was wow. uh, going. Like, that week that we went, that was like, I don't exaggerate here. That was like the last week or two. That window was the last time that we would have physically been able to take him on a trip like that. And so Ian, like... I think that that time really stands out to me of, you know, like if that says a lot to you, like I'm proud of that time because there's a lot of people that say like, man, taking a disabled person on an international multi-stop trip, like that seems like a lot of fucking work and like not, uh, you know, even if you really want to do that with a person, it's like, it's a challenge. It was a challenging thing to do. And I was exhausted by the end of it because of those challenges in there. But man, I'm so glad that I did it. And, you know, Hey, I could have, you know, that money that we spent on that, I, I could have, it could have went other places that better set me up on things. I mean, I was a freelancer at that time, right? Like I wasn't making any sort of money, sure. um, but like that was one of the most worthwhile things. And I'm so freaking glad that, you know, you were able to meet him and that I was able to show 
somebody who just, he was a blue collar, bloody knuckles guy his entire life, never seen a day of comfort in his life. And to be able to take him on a trip like that is like, I'm just so glad it happened. That's really, amazing. I am. I'm just so glad. I'm glad you brought it up. It's not a touchy subject. It's one thing that I look back on often. And I'm just so glad that things just happen to line up to be able to do that. That's family. Family is important. And that shows you and your family. And you're, 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 you're whatever I see the pictures, you you have a strong belief in in family. And and that's a, I think that's the biggest, most important. I tell people that are getting out or going in, just never forget who your family is. And I did for a little while. And it's tough not to when you're deploying all the time. It's tough not to put and whose fam which family's first, but you always had a good grip on family. At least that's what I saw. Maybe you were hiding it well behind the scenes. I don't know, but but what I saw, least, I'm a real piece of shit. You guys, I know, publicly, I mean, publicly, I all I saw was Dan. I was like Marty. Marty's a good dude, man. That motherfucker's really? a good dude. I always said that motherfucker's a good dude, and. I'm trying. and <laughs> and, uh, but to hear that, that, cause I didn't know you did that with your father. That's awesome, dude. That, that is tremendous. Um, Hey, getting into, you know, I know we're getting, getting long here. We're going a little bit long, but um, at least my last thing is, is that, you know, I just, I want to know what you have coming up. We've kind of talked about a little bit, but also you've know, got your new book, but if there's anything you want to use this platform, really, I, I want people to oh, get yeah. to know who you are. You are a good public figure, public example for the next generation to come up. So you know, what, do you, what, what else do you, you have coming in, up? What do you call him an influencer? He, I, I hate, <laughs> stop using that stuff. You know, I hate that fucking <laughs> word, influencer. Um, and also, you know, you know, with I, the JFK thing, you and Ian have those great, you know, yeah, great quiet storm, very white voice that's <laughs> great for, for, but if you got anything else coming out, but also just, no. and words of advice for young rangers that want to join the range battalion, just brief. I, I know we got, got Oh yeah. Yeah. Time, um, but a I lot of things, my recruiting spiel for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, no, I think stuff coming up, like I said, this book that we're working on, it's called send me, I'm writing it with Joe Kent. Who's the gold star husband yeah. of, uh, Shannon Kent. Um, it's going to be really good. I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's going to be really good. We're, <laughs> that should be coming out in like May ish of next year. Um, I'm just putting the final touches on it right now. Uh, so definitely keep an eye out for that. And, you know, I said my day job is running coffeeyourdie.com and Coffee Die magazine. You can subscribe to the print magazine uh, or just follow us online. And, um, you know, like I said, we've got a really great group of people that are getting on the ground around the country, around the world, reporting on the military, first responders, veterans. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that and the stuff that we put out on a regular basis there. So definitely check that out. And, um, you know, I think uh, as far as advice for people, you said people going in, trying to get into the range. Uh, right? we, we always like, if I have a veteran, I always like a veteran, especially one from SOCOM to, to, cause we do have listeners from high school or some that are in college that are thinking about joining. And I want them. Yeah. I don't want them to get the rose cutter glasses showing yeah. the video. Hey, look at blowing up shit, drop, flying out, of, jumping out of airplanes, sliding down ropes, of helicopters. I want them to, to know. And you've been downrange and you've been downrange at, you guys were kicking ass at that time. You were going through a lot of heavy shit, like you said, ops all the time. And it may get to that point again. So yeah. I want them to be ready. Yeah, I would say for people going into that, um, you get out of it, I think, what you put into it and recognize that not all of it is going to be this tangible on paper bullet point sort of list of what you get out of it. Right. Like it's not I don't think about the certifications that you get or those the, the, the badges that the you badges, get or, yeah. or things like that. I think that when I think about some of the things that's really valuable for, for me right now, um, 
the ability to plan, right? So when you're annoyed about having to write another op order or go through this planning process that seems overly complicated and like a waste of your time, recognize that you're learning things during that. You're learning what right looks like. You're also, you learn something from everybody. Sometimes what to do, sometimes what not to do. Yep. So you're always learning, always be learning in that environment. There's going to be times where you're stuck on staff duty or CQ or <laughs> or you're pulling guard, you know, in, in, in a, in a, dugout trench or whatever at, you know, in infantry school or whatever, the times that you're most bored, that's also teaching you something. It's teaching you patience. Yeah. Patience is one of the biggest allies that you can have in life because usually things don't happen as fast as you want yeah. them to. And if you can have some patience and know when to take tactical pauses, you're going to be much more effective in your efforts and much less stressed out. I think, I think you're much less stressed out if you just realize that you need to let the situation develop in almost any facet of life. So recognize that the things that like, yes, you'll learn how to shoot guns, you'll learn how to build a breaching charge, you'll, you'll learn how to put a stick of jumpers out on static line operations, you know, you'll learn how to do that stuff. Not all of that on its face translates to life after the military. And there will always be life after the military. Yeah. It's a young man's game. At some point, you will quit playing that game. Yeah. Uh, unless you're Billy Waugh, in which case, <laughs> you will do it for the rest of your life. Um, uh, but he's the exception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um so recognize that you need to serve, you're there to serve your country. It's not what your country can do for you, right? It's like what you can do for your country. You're there to serve your country, but recognize what you're learning and don't, when you leave the military, then just throw it all aside. Yeah, so go into it knowing that you're here to learn, that you're here to serve your country and that you're there to soak up all experiences, good, bad, or otherwise. Bad things will happen. Good things will happen. They will all help you become the person you, you want to be or, or should want to be. And that's a good thing. So, um, uh, outside of that, be very wary of how many 800 milligram ibuprofens you're throwing down. Like, eat something with that. It's going to tear your liver up. Um, yoga is a good thing. Uh, yeah. Flexibility is a good it's thing. A good thing. <laughs> your body. Use that foam roller. Use that lacrosse ball. Just because you're 20 and bulletproof doesn't mean you're always, like, you know, don't put all of that responsibility on your chiropractor 10 years later. Do a little bit of do a little bit of work while you're in, you know? Yeah. And, um, and th you know, I think that there's the typical things like don't quit, you know, you'll never yeah. forgive yourself. Don't quit. Don't, um, you know, know when something's not right for you though. You know what I mean? If you go in, you hear about a lot of, but this from guys who go through like the 18 Delta course or, uh, to go be uh soccer medics. Sometimes you get to a place and you figure out, man, I'm not meant yeah. to be a special operations medic. I'm not right for the medicine world. Doesn't mean you're not right for special operations. You're just maybe not yeah. right. Know when to say, I need to make a pivot. Just like with me running my business, right? I thought I wanted to be an entrepreneur and this business leader and all. That was, no, my true thing was storytelling, is, is writing. It's, it's, that's what it was. It was always right there. Be aware enough of yourself and constantly be uh, doing a self-scout, right? And, and recognize when you need to make a pivot in life, both in your military career and even as you're going through the process of joining, you know, yeah. be, be real with yourself. Look, if you, you know, if you're not somebody that's already motivated to get up and work out every morning, <laughs> let's call that what that is. The military is not going to give you a work ethic. It's just yeah. going to expose if you don't have one. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the military is not this magic pill that's going to turn you into GI Joe. If you're already GI Joe, it's going to give you a, a, a an avenue to go do GI Joe things. Okay. If you're a, you know, it, so just be real with who you are as a person. And if you're saying, Hey, I want to change as a person, which I think is a totally acceptable thing to do. If you want to change, understand what that's going to take. 
Yeah. You know, it's not just cha- going to Jiffy Lube and changing the oil on your car. Okay. It's a complete <laughs> rebuild. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's a rebuild from the, from the frame up. So you got to understand. And, and if you're not ready to do what that uh, it takes to do that, be real with you. It's okay. Nobody's there to judge. No, nobody cares. Yep. Legitimately, nobody cares about you. Okay. Everybody's <laughs> telling you people care about you. Nobody cares about you. Okay. So go do what's right for you. Go follow your passions. And if that's the military, go, go get after that. Be the best, yep. you know, whatever it is. But if it's not, nobody cares. Yeah. It's fine. It's okay. Yep. So yeah, that's, that is, know, that's I, my spiel that's on people looking to go to the military. No, that's awesome. I got, I got nothing. I, I, I got nothing. I, I would agree. (laughs) The the only other thing I have actually to wrap this up is, uh, kind of how we started the show. This is Thanksgiving week. Um, so any, any words, I guess, for guys who are deployed or, or any story maybe you have when you were deployed and Thanksgiving happened, because I know for some guys, this is a tough week. And are you cooking the turkey or who's doing who's doing the cooking this week? Oh, too? Bringing up uh, family. So my brother just moved out here to New Hampshire uh, this summer. I talked him into coming out. He works with me at Coffee. Yeah, who also is a writer. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so he's uh, man. If you guys ever want a guy with some gnarly paramedic stories from North Minneapolis. Like, oh, yeah. We'll do it. Fuck yeah. yeah. He's, oh, a, yeah. he's a good one. Um, uh, and he was a 375 guy, got out um, and became a paramedic and uh, did some crazy stuff. And now he's he went into the family. Family, family business, business. Yeah, no definitely get, yeah we'll have get, him on yeah, get, yeah. we'll get him on but, definitely so he just moved out here with me he's got a new Traeger smoker so he's going to be throwing the turkey oh in that no shit and that's awesome so yeah we're going to be doing that and so if you're if you're listening to this and you're deployed to some corner of the world right now and that sounds awesome you're right it is and you should be jealous <laughs> uh, sucks to be you thank you for serving our country um and uh, no, for all those guys, it's like, man, uh, th- this is these are always those times that are like super introspective when you're deployed yeah. because you're aware that things are going on back home without you. So you become very introspective, much more so than any other day of the deployment. Right. And um, and Christmas is the same way. Yeah. Uh, and I would just say, like, it's OK to be introspective. Think about that and re- realize that, like, hey, they're you know, they're doing that stuff because you're over here doing what you got to do and just man, try to make some good memories, you know, yeah, yeah. like it, you can still, Thanksgiving can be done anywhere. Create some good memories with your teammates. Don't lock yourself in a room and, yeah. and pout about the fact that you're not home for the holidays that the kids are having fun without you, man, make the most of any situation. And that includes the holidays, you know? Yes. And uh, yeah, you know, um, if you need, you know, extra coffee for the, for the talk or whatever, hit us <laughs> up at Black Rock the Coffee. We'll send some over. Perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I would say guys, if you're going to, if you have a chance and you're going to watch a movie though for Thanksgiving, definitely get patriotic and throw on team America. That's, nice. that's the best yeah, movie to watch. The only way. Best movie. Only way. Well said, Mark, man. Well said. Dave. Yeah. This, awesome. this was a great episode. So guys yeah. follow uh, Marty on Twitter and Instagram at Marty Scovelin jr. And that's spelled uh, M A R T Y S K O V L U N D. JR. Just because I make it super easy to find. That's it's a great Puerto Rican last name. I mean, it's <laughs> awesome. It's awesome. So uh yeah, at Marty Scovelin Jr. Uh, Twitter and Instagram and coffeeordie.com. This was awesome. This was long overdue, and, and we really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate man. Marty. And I haven't yeah. seen you in, yeah. in years at this point. I mean, I got to visit you when you were in Colorado, had a great time, and it's been a while since you've been to the city. So maybe I'll come out there at some point, but I miss seeing you. Are you gonna be at Shot Show? 
I don't know. I always find out I'm going to SHOT Show like a week before SHOT Show. I never know. I, so. I hope to see you there. I mean, I'll see a lot of people there. So. Yeah, it's possible. I don't know. And that reminds me, too. I mean, not to dive back into an episode <laughs> and stuff here, but it's like, man, the first time I ever met Chris was up in Whitefish. Oh, that's right. Oh, that was the first time I ever met Chris. He was. I went up and asked him to sign my book, that's and right. you know, that, and that, that was me and Logan Stark. Neither of us were working for Black Rifle at that time, but we were there with Evan and Jared and Matt. And, they were all uh, there. And and yeah. did you did, did you read about the the security guy? Remember the guy that was sponsoring all that? The very rich yeah. his security detail, the Matt Marshall that is being charged with fraud and embezzlement. Wow. And I knew Matt. For, I knew Matt from Blackwater early on, and yeah. I, re- I, I, but I, and I don't get it. my buddy of mine sent that to me because you hear this and like, oh, well, honestly, I, I wasn't, it didn't shock me at all. But yeah, it was that when you bring whitefish, I'm like, man, that was fun. But there was some shady shit going on that we didn't know about under behind the scenes. There was we were things there. happening there at that time. It was one of those things where I was around all these guys that I knew were like a very big deal. It's like, man, the CEO of Sequoia Capital, yeah, yeah, was yeah. right there. You know, like for people that don't know Sequoia Cat, like look it up, right? Like there was some cr- a crazy mix of people at that thing, and I was just like, man, I do not rate to be in this room. Somehow I ended up here, though. We had so. fun. We had fun. You, I had, <laughs> I had fun. That was a good time. Yeah. And you, and that's yeah. when I think Evan or one of you, Evan, gave me that big the plank with the two seven five. I still got that on my wall. I, I mean, yeah. it's I, I've got to fix this room up. We're we're still moving, so we got to get this done. But um, bro, no, that that was I remember that, that was awesome. And, and again, I want to say thank you for again writing the, the on the cover of the Ranger Way. It, it did. It, it really. Yeah. When you decided to do that, because I didn't know if I should do it or not, I was like, man, I don't know. People are probably gonna give me shit about it. But when I had it on there, I felt confident. I was like, well, I'm a big Marty's proponent right. of Rangers writing, of people Good. writing stories. The reason most of us joined the military is we read that Vietnam memoir, that World War II story. We saw Saving Private Ryan. If veterans don't tell their stories. We're robbing the next generation of warriors. Well said. Well said. Well, re- read Marty's stuff, guys, and and read read the King Ginger stuff. Luke Ryan, no, Marty is the King <laughs> yeah. Ginger. Uh, and is Leo, Leo's not writing for you anymore. He's just out surfing and living he, in Mexico. Is it? Or well, Baja. so he's been in two of our Coffee or Die print magazines since we launched. But he's just so is he just freelance or he's he yeah yeah. Well, if you find the Leo stuff, he's not and, a man that you can tie down with a W. No, no. he's got he's too much fun spirit. stuff going on. But guys, get Havoc Journal. If if you haven't read have any Havoc Journal, search it. That's Marty's stuff in the beginning. That for that I thought know for him from the beginning. That's some good shit, guys. Read that stuff. Yep. So thanks, yeah. buddy. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just to wrap man. things up here, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, send us your emails to battlelinepodcast at gmail you know, I get a ton of the, the one thing is I get a ton of guest requests and there's so many people we need to have on. It's hard to hit them all, especially we only do the show once a week. You know, some of the shows are guest free. So we have it's about 40 guests a year. There's only so many people we could have on. But if you have questions for the show, we do try to get to those. So any questions you have, battlelinepodcast, gmail.com. And uh, have a great Thanksgiving, guys. Have a very happy <laughs> Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, buddy. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.